The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good evening, my friends. Welcome back to the show about money each and every Saturday night right here on 640 Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager, my partner, Jack Hartle, Portfolio Manager. Uh, another interesting week. Indeed, uh, markets are very, very resilient. I, I use the market as a crystal ball. Uh, the market is quite knowing. It's not all knowing, but it's quite knowing as the collective of investors are, quote unquote, putting their bets to work uh, for or against, uh, you know, uh, market volatility. And I, I, I see a resilient market. Uh you know, market that's pulled back a little bit. The uh, Nasdaq getting below fifteen percent. Uh, not in a bear market yet, but certainly in corrective territory. S and P five hundred uh, got below, I think, eleven percent. TSX holding up really, really well. Uh, crude, of course, a uh, big contributor to that. Yet the Canadian dollar isn't following suit. That, uh, uh, that that's telling us something. Bond markets calm down. Uh, the conflict continues. Uh, Terrible, terrible times, I must say. And we must continue to pray for the people of Ukraine and the uh, world is united on this one. Uh, but it's affecting each and every one of us around the planet. Uh, 300 companies have pulled out of Russia. Uh, they're speaking with their wallets and their uh, balance sheets and they're saying we're exiting. We can't uh, be uh, uh, privy to this uh, situation. Uh, commodity prices on the uptick. We're all talking about prices at the pump. Uh, I bought some premium, uh, 94-octane, 221. And that's before the spike. I bet it's like 230 right now. Americans are complaining about 4 bucks a gallon. Wow. Uh, they have to come up to Canada and spend some time. Uh, in, anyways, interesting time. The year is unfolding. We're in the month of March. Uh, the market could make a market bottom in March. In fact, a market bottom could be in uh, believe it or not, uh, it, uh, it's usually darkest just before dawn. And uh, the way I see this market, uh, it's trying, it's trying to, to form a bottom and work its way higher. And perhaps uh, March could be the turning point. Historically, uh, that has often occurred. Uh, if you mind through the data, you would see that factoid. Uh, and again, we're ready for the long game, uh, my good friends. It's all about the long game. Uh, capital preservation and yet uh, outpace inflation. Ooh, 8% on that number too. Incredible. Uh, let's talk to Noah Solomon, Chief Investment Officer, uh, Outcome Metric Asset Management, frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, over 20 years of experience in institutional investing. Uh, now he is uh, the Chief Investment Officer, as indicated, for Outcome Metric. Uh, Noah, welcome back to the show. Uh, how are you, my friend? I'm good, and thanks for having me on again. Uh, speak to me, please, market conditions from a big picture. Uh what is the market telling you? What what factoids and um, uh, areas of the market do you find most uh, interesting, most troubling, uh, most standout-ish? So by way of narrative, Wolf, I would say that, you know, first of all, I'm not going to make a prediction. And the, real, the reason I don't make predictions is because everyone I've seen, including professional strategists, have sucked at it. And I have no reason to believe that I will suck any less. So I don't like to talk in terms of predictions, but I do like to talk in terms of probabilities and odds, because that's the best you can do. 
So by way of narrative, we know that um, falling interest rates and inflation since the global financial crisis have been a huge tailwind for equities, huge for stocks. 80% of the gains in the S&P 500 since the financial crisis have been due to multiple expansion. In other words, only 20% of the gains were due to blood and guts earnings growth. So we know Falling rates have been a huge tailwind for equities. Now, we also know that what was a a tailwind is now turning into a headwind. Rates are on the rise. I don't know how much they're going to rise or how fast, but we know that what was a tailwind is turning into a headwind. Now, that doesn't mean I'm making a prediction that stocks are going down. But what I am saying is the odds have changed. If you could count cards at blackjack, and based on the cards that have been played, you knew whether the odds were in your favor or against you. You would play very differently than when the odds didn't, were in your favor than how you'd bet if the odds were against you. So back to the market. My point is this. When rates are rising, you are playing a fundamentally different game than when rates are falling. And if you don't understand that, that's a problem. It is a fundamentally different game. Now, I'm not saying you should run for the hills. But just like when the cards are counting, when the odds start deteriorating, you should be adjusting your risk. That doesn't mean go all the way to cash or liquidate everything and hide under the mattress. But at the margin, you should be adjusting your risk because you are in a fundamentally different game where the upside is less than it used to be and the downside is more. We're speaking with Noah Solomon, Chief Investment Officer, uh, Outcome Metric Asset Management. Uh, Noah is a uh, asset manager. He manages money. Very focused on uh, downside protection, uh, upside protection coming or upside gains uh, secondary in nature. It's all about protecting uh, assets. Uh, Noah, there's no question. Uh, interest rates have risen from 50 basis points, which is a half a percent, up to, uh, call it 2%, uh, below that number right here, right now, uh, we're splitting hairs. Uh, so rates have risen quite significantly. Uh, that's six rate hikes uh, at a quarter point each. Um, how much further the rates go? Anyone's guess. Our technician thinks two and a quarter, maybe. Uh, the market, of course, or the Fed has to now adjust according to the bond market itself. But put that aside, uh, higher interest rates at these levels, uh, still present opportunities. Uh, there's 11 sectors to choose from. There's commodities. There is technology. There's healthcare. There's consumer discretionary. There's staples. There's utilities. There's REITs. Uh, there's there's gold. Uh, so l- let's go through the sectors. Which sectors, in your opinion, uh, benefit most uh, from a rate hiking position that we're in right now? So, Wolf, you know, you're playing the game of relativism here. So you're not saying which sectors are going to, rather than think about which sectors are going to make money, maybe you should think about which ones can withstand higher rates the best. So what we've already seen, given the action in the market, you know, when rates go up, the higher growth companies, you know, that are expected to grow at very rapid rates, you know, primarily technology companies that trade at large multiples and have huge rates of earnings growth assumed in those multiples, they get killed relative to other stocks. So if we've seen the technology darlings, the NASDAQ stocks, they've been absolutely crushed relative to the old line bread and butter, you know, healthcare, industrials, less high growth, less high multiple stocks. And I have no reason to believe that if rates continue to go up, that won't continue to be the case. 
But in terms of relativism, you know, I would say that companies that, you know, the markets have shifted from, in other words, the markets have shifted from, I don't care about the money, just show me the promise, to I don't care about the promise, show me the money. And I think we're in the early stages of that. And the corollary is you want to focus on companies that have strong balance sheets, not egregious multiples, not huge assumed growth rates. So to your point, companies like sectors like staples, healthcare, industrials, energy, kind of kind of the kind of companies where if they make things and when you drop them on your foot, they hurt, as opposed to virtual companies or technology companies. Correct. So, and we are certain, and that's one of the reasons why the Canadian market is outperforming. Uh, the U.S. market is probably one of the best performing markets globally. Uh, we have a lot of commodities. They have been left for dead. Uh, the ESG theme has restricted development, restricted exploration, uh, trying to turn the world into a new direction as the world continues to consume call it 100 million barrels of crude a day. Uh, and, and Jack and I have been talking about crude for some time, uh, looking like a perfect setup for higher prices. Uh, prior to the conflict of Russia, uh, you know, we, we mentioned 150 oil certainly could be, is doable, i.e. a new high, just looking at technicals and looking how far it's been quiet. Along comes a geopolitical event, and, well, uh, they, they just brought that thesis forward uh, to a degree. But you're seeing the strength here in Canada for that for those very reasons. You have a good inflation hedge because interest rates go up for one reason, and that is inflation. Uh, and inflation running at 8%, interest rates at 2%. Let me throw this back to you. No, and again, I know, you know, I know you're not into forecasting per se, but logically, where do you think, where do you think the 10-year Treasury should trade at? Well, you know... If I had to err on the side of anything, Wolf, I would say that the market may, notwithstanding the rise in rates that we've seen in bond yields, both in Canada and the U.S. and everywhere else in the world, I'd say, you know, if I err on the side, I'd say they, they're maybe under discounting what the Fed will need to do and what inflation will be. Because if you really think about it, you know, inflation's running at 6 or 7%, and overnight rates, notwithstanding they're about to rise, are zero. Okay? So that means you have negative real rates of 6 or 7%. That is way too low. Even just to get to neutral real rates, you'd have to have rates in the 6 or 7% range, assuming no fall inflation, which is anyone's guess. But I think, you know, and you've seen Goldman Sachs come out on this. You've seen Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School comment on this. I think the balance of risk lies to more rate heights than is being priced in relative to less. And I think all things considered... That is not net-net a good thing for risk assets, including equity markets. The show, my friends, is Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday night right here on 640 Toronto. I'm Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager. My partner, Jack Hartle, who we're going to check in with in a bit, uh, Portfolio Manager as well. Speak with Noah Solomon. He's a Chief Investment Officer with Outcome Metric Asset Management. Uh, different view on how to manage money. Uh, it's, it's a view of uh, preservation of capital first. Uh, more show, my friends, right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All we are saying is that we're 
Welcome back, my friends. It's a show about money. Lots of it going to Ukraine to help the cause. Lots of love pouring out to help the cause. It's remarkable. Uh, the good versus the evil. The evil is one man. The good is, well, 150 nations uh, doing their part to, to help uh, this very, very tragic, dire situation that we are dealing with right now. And, and it's working its way around the, the globe. Uh, no one's insulated from the crises and from the conflict that we are witnessing. I speak to higher oil prices. I speak to shortages. Uh, I speak to higher wheat prices. Uh, the, the global ramifications and um, uh, second derivative uh, consequences uh, from this uh, hostile endeavor uh, are far-reaching. Um, and it's, uh, well, it's certainly, as a Canadian, uh, right here, right now, we're okay because we have what the world needs. Uh, and the, the world, of course, always needs to eat. It needs uh, fuel. Uh, it needs stuff out of the ground. And that's what we do best in the such a Canadian market is outperforming the U.S. market. Uh, last year, Jack, did the, did the Canadian market outperform U.S. last year? I think it did as well uh, by, by, by a thin margin. But uh, anyways, I'll leave for you that to, to check into that one there, Jack. And I'll throw it over to you as well, my good friend. Uh, chat with Noah a little bit, uh, see what, uh, what you can extract out of his gray matter. Sure. Thanks a lot, Wolf. And again, thanks, Noah, for joining us. Um, the TSX really has been a, a star this year, um, and you know I've talked to Fidelity in the past, and they've been concerned about a number of things in Canada: uh, consumer debt um, getting past where it was in the U.S. back in 2007, um, over reliance on the housing market. Obviously, everyone's home is appreciated, uh, subject to uh, interest rates as well. Lower interest rates mean higher housing prices, but um, over reliance on the housing market is a concern. A lot of debt is a concern. Uh, Noah, what's your view on the TSX? It has outperformed. Uh, I know you wrote a piece about it recently. You think it's going to continue to do so. Um, why do you believe that? So you can find our research or our commentaries on outcomewm.com. So anybody who wants to read it in detail is free to do so. But we did a study on, uh, you know, for the past 30 years on the TSX performance relative to the S&P. And there's really two things that drive that. I mean, first of all, it's sectoral composition. So the TSX is way heavier weighted in things like energy and materials and financials. And the S&P is way overweighted in things like technology and consumer discretionary and healthcare stocks. So, the, so when you bet on the TSX versus the S&P, you're basically making a sector bet. So the question, therefore, becomes what drives relative sector performance? And the two main culprits we found when we ran the data for the last 30 years are global GDP growth. So when global GDP growth is strong, it favors the TSX over the S&P. And when global GDP is not strong, it favors the S&P over the TSX. The other obvious one, the other 800-pound gorilla that drives relative TSX performance versus our southern neighbors is oil, which, you know, you've already talked about. So when oil is going up, it's a very good bet that the TSX given its overweighting to those kind of companies, is going to way outperform. Now, to your point, the TSX this year, where it was very close to the S&P last year, this year it's not only killing the U.S. market, it's killing outperforming almost everything else. The TSX is about flattish on the year versus down 10%, give or take, for the S&P and other markets. So it's way outperforming. And, you know, our, we do have a Canadian equity strategy, which now, granted, it's favored because it's in only Canadian stocks, which are holding up well. But with the TSX flat, it's up over 7% year to date. So it's added a lot of value, and we get there completely algorithmically using data. 
Now, but what back to the housing problem in Canada or, you know, uh, leveraged consumers and all that. You know, I kind of think that the irony is this. Canada may be having its Forrest Gump moment. So, you know, if you remember the movie Forrest Gump, you know, you had this yokel Forrest, and he wasn't the brightest spark in the world, but he kept accomplishing wonderful things just by happenstance. He was in the right place at the right time. So regardless of whether you think we have an overextended housing sector or a government that doesn't really have any particularly astute economic policy, which is not the subject of our conversation, it may not matter. We may, having, we may be having our Forrest Gump moment because the stuff we do is in favor. Materials, commodities, inflation-sensitive things, pro-cyclical, pro-inflation things. So regardless of whether you think we're on the right direction in terms of policy or consumer debt, we could have our Forrest Gump moment. It may not matter. We may do very well relative to everyone else, and I think we will, by no virtue of our own actions. I would, I would agree with that. What's going on? And like you said, uh, global GDP growth, so global uh, gross domestic product, how much the economy is growing is very highly correlated to energy. And, and that is the stuff that can, Canadians sell. Metals, mining materials, oil and gas. And I would also add in their financials tend to benefit with rising interest rates as well. Um, getting back to the Canadian dollar, because that's one of the reasons why we're seeing higher energy at the pumps, higher gas at the pumps, is because our Typically, our Canadian dollar rises when oil rises as well, so it kind of buffers. Um, like I said, the pumps, this time that's not happening. Um, what do you see with the Canadian dollar? Uh, it's hovering around 80 cents, maybe slightly below there. It uh, should be higher based on all the stuff that we do sell and all the stuff that we keep talking about. What's your view on the Canadian dollar, and is that a, a concern for you, or do you think that there's potential uh, to appreciate there as well uh, with these rising commodities and maybe when uh, the Ukraine situation um, settles down a bit? So to your point, it is very interesting because, you know, the Canadian dollar is somewhat of a petrodollar because when oil goes up, the stuff, the price of the stuff we sell to the rest of the world goes way up in price relative to the stuff we import from the rest of the world, which, all things being equal, is positive for the Canadian dollar. However, as a countervailing force, the Canadian dollar is a risk-on currency. When the world is a good place, the Canadian dollar tends to do well, and when the world is a nervous and not so friendly place, it's unfriendly. So you have those two forces. On the one hand, to your point, oil going up good, but given that the world is very volatile, not good for the Canadian dollar. And you can see that in the price action because it's been very range-bound. If the world were a normal place right now and oil was going up, the Canadian dollar would be way higher than it is now. But you've got that countervailing current of being a risk-off world, which is not Canadian dollar friendly. So you have these two things battling it out. That's a very valid point, Noah. I must say that's actually quite brilliant because the last time oil uh, was trading with such strength, uh, the economy was rip-roaring and interest rates were uh, very, very much subdued. And as such, the Canadian dollar was able uh, to become par plus relative to the U.S. dollar. This time, that's not the case. Uh, so the question, I guess, in your mind is if the world settles down, uh, with with risk, geopolitical tensions. If that settles down, perhaps then the Canadian dollar can stage itself a bit of a rally. But that would, of course, then lead me to believe that the crude would sell off. Well, notwithstanding what is going on in the Ukraine is a horrible thing by any standards. Um, as far as financial markets are concerned, 
Um, I think the thing in Ukraine is much less of a concern for markets than rising interest rates. I think the markets will eventually see through what's going on in the Ukraine, but they will have trouble getting through for the foreseeable future rising inflation and interest rates. So, no, that's what we are seeing. I agree with you there whole uh, hardly. Uh, in interest of time, Noah, uh, some final thoughts just to share with us and give us a few tidbits of wisdom that we can put to work in the coming months. Wow, that's a pretty open-ended question, Wolf. As I said before, um, I don't believe in drastic reactionary moves. Um, they usually wind up being wrong and, you know, we are burdened by our emotions and greed and fear. And there's any number of studies that can say how our emotional wiring affects our investment decisions in very adverse ways. So I would not advocate any rash behavioral decisions. That having been said, I think there's no advantage to reaching for risk in this environment. Assets are not bargain basement enough or cheap enough to warrant reaching for risk. And I do think at the margin not running for the hills and going all the cash. But as I said before, I think at the margin, you should be adjusting your risk lower. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. That is a very interesting point. Uh, no, let me ask you, uh, in terms of lowering your risk, uh, time horizon, if you have a 10-year time horizon, five-year time horizon, uh, my advice would be you do not react uh during times of crises, make those adjustments in calm, normal markets. It's kind of too late to adjust now. And the market has discounted so much of what we are talking about. In fact, it's discounted everything we're talking about right now. So the market is about the future, is about tomorrow. And I, I, I personally think coming out of this uh, geopolitical funk, uh, which which I pray to God each and every night that we do sooner rather than later, uh, again, pent-up demand, bottlenecks in the system, still very accommodative money um, that I think will remain accommodative for the foreseeable future, although uh, you know, at a lower rate of change. Uh, do you think, you know, again, setting the table that way, making adjustments here to, to, to you know, an aggressive position in cash makes sense if you have the time horizon? I, I do, and I'll tell you why. So I don't believe in dogma. So I don't believe in hyper-trading and reacting and running for the hills and I also don't believe in doing nothing and just sitting with the same portfolio forever and ever makes sense. And actually, the data bears that out, and I'll tell you why. So we've run rolling returns for the S&P 500, 10-year rolling returns, 20-year rolling returns, 30-year rolling returns. Now, I know the thesis is, look, over 30 years, it all comes out in the wash. So in any given one year, the S&P can be up 30% or down 30%. So huge variation. And obviously, over 10-year periods, that variability goes down. The annualized returns go, the difference from one year 10 period to the next is not as different as one year to the next. But I think you'd be surprised at how different 10 year rolling returns can be from one another. If you have 10 year rolling returns of the low is like one or 2% versus 13%, that's a world of difference when you compound those two annualized rates of return. So notwithstanding the long term, the data will tell you that the long term better be 50 years, not 10. It doesn't all come out in the wash over 10 years. No, fair, fair enough. And again, I, stocks for the long run. Uh, I think that was Jeremy Siegel who wrote that book, correct? Um, he went through rolling returns at length. And the point he made was there was no 10-year 
rolling return, that was a negative number. So the worst case scenario was you, you got back what you invested, uh, which is a lot better than many, many achieve. Uh, trust me on that front. Um, but without question, uh, the name of the game is to make money. It's not to break even. Uh, and if you're going to risk your capital, you want to make sure that it's uh, offering you what you're looking for, which is a reward. Uh, not always so easy, but if you work with professionals, uh, folks like Noah, folks like myself, uh, you, you will have yourself a competitive advantage because you have a professional helping you along the way. Uh, Noah Solomon, uh, Chief Investment Officer, Outcome Asset Management, a real pleasure speaking with you once again. Uh, I wish you well, stay safe, and we will check in with you later. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Sandy McIntyre, uh, retired strategist, uh, now uh, sitting at uh, Lock, uh, Lock Tay Foundation. Um, he was, of course, a, a former capital market strategist with a CI Investments. It's always a pleasure to speak to this very, very wise man. We're going to learn a lot, my friends. Uh, you stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Indeed. Jack and I are your friend. You know, what really, I think, uh, behooves so many of us, makes us scratch our heads, is there are so many Russians living in Ukraine and so many Ukrainians who have Russian friends. Um, <laughs> they are friends. Um, along comes with Putin. And, uh, well, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like friends. It's incredible what's going on. And it's affecting the markets, which is honestly the least of my concern. It should be yours as well. And we should embrace higher oil prices because it's part of the cause. So as you pay more for at the pumps, you're, you are helping the cause. Uh, I'm not suggesting you spend a bunch of money on carbon and let your car idle, but uh, just accept the slightly higher prices right here, right now. Perhaps in the world uh, that we are in, hedge your bets. How do you hedge your bets against higher oil prices? You own oil stocks. And don't buy them. Don't go chasing oil stocks today. Uh, this is not the environment to be buying oil stocks. It's time to be either selling some oil stocks uh, or staying put and hang on to what you have. The time to buy is when no one wants it or when it's just beginning to turn. Again, oil is a cyclical. It's a commodity. Uh, best cure for high oil prices is higher oil prices. And uh, I'm very curious how the oil trades, by the way, uh, Russian crude, what happens to it? How much does China absorb? And uh, it could be a relationship, uh, I'm just hypothesizing here, whereby Russia now has one customer for its crude, and that's China. I wonder who would win that negotiating battle. It's a similar situation here at home. Uh, Canadian oil has one customer primarily, and it's the Americans. And as such, we have been selling our oil uh, for a differential. I haven't heard that phrase in a while. I guess it's not as wide as it once was, but we, we were selling basically $20 uh, below market value. Part of that was transportation costs, and, 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 and the rest of it was there was no further demand for Canadian crude. Uh, Sandy McIntyre, he's going to help us make sense of it all. Uh, he, he's, he's worked on Bay Street through, Sandy, tell us, how many geopolitical conflicts, uh, not like this, but a, a, enough that rattled the markets and, and, and made us sit on edge, uh, 
wondering, you know, how the day was going to unfold. Um, and again, well, what's your view on the the, the crude market? Uh, what what is Russia going to do with this oil, uh, and 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 what's China's position uh, in that relationship with the crude oil? Well, I started in the aftermath of the Vietnam War, and uh, huh. this. Uh, Ukraine thing is sure looking like uh, it's potentially Russia's Vietnam War because the people are not behind it. Uh, you know, when you put legislation in that uh, questioning the dear leader is worth 15 years in jail, um, that, that's pretty draconian. Uh, from, from the point of view of the Russian oil, um, China has made a deal with Iran to take substantially, uh, substantially all of Iran's output uh, over a multi-year period. So I'm not sure what the Chine- Chinese demand is for additional Russian oil. Uh, so this, this, is, this is going to get a bit interesting. Um, does the U.S. look for security of supply? Well, we've got tons of oil up here that we could supply them securely if uh, you could get uh, select individuals to allow the completion of the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, meanwhile, uh, there's tons of north-south uh, rail traffic and tank cars that can take oil down to the refining hubs uh, but unfortunately, that's less safe than pipelines and uh, more costly. So, Sandy, what 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 do we uh, as investors? What do you do with all of this? Uh, again, we're seeing strength in the Canadian market versus the international market because of our commodity centricity. Um, looking forward, uh, six to twelve months and beyond. Would you make adjustments today to position yourself for tomorrow or make yourself reposition yourself for today, expecting more of the same? Okay, we're, we're off um, in the United States roughly 10% from all-time high. And valuations are actually uh, fairly rich. I would look at your cash needs over the next couple of years and just make sure you've got sufficient liquidity to deal with your cash needs so that in the event that something really bad happens, you are not forced to sell good assets to meet a cash call. Um, If you've got money in the stock market and are planning on buying a house six months from now, um, I don't think I'd expose that money to market risk. I would make sure that I've got liquidity with, with that, with that um, cash. Uh, from a portfolio point of view, I've always suggested to people that they should invest in the structures of their everyday life. Um, and I look at my cost structure. Uh, I would say the highest household expense is energy, so I have energy investment. Um, to a lesser degree, it's food and beverages, so I have food and beverage investment. Um, I try to make sure that the investments have an income stream, and most importantly, I do not give a hoot about what my investments are doing relative to some arbitrary benchmark. I pay no attention to 
my performance relative to the S&P 500 or the S&P TSX composite, um, I invest with a total return objective of between 7 and 10% from the equity portion of the portfolio. Very doable number uh, over the long haul without question. Uh, Historically, that's sort of what's been delivered. Do you, do you think those numbers are reasonable, Sandy? A seven to ten percent return. You know, let's use a ten-year rolling average because we just our previous guest was just speaking about that. In the last few decades, the rolling averages weren't as robust as previous decades, and uh, we know that there's been a decade where you haven't made a return on a rolling average basis. But do you think in the next thirty years, seven to ten percent uh, as an equity investor is a reasonable return expectation to have? Um, yes, I do, uh, and it's and based in part on innovation. Uh, it's based in part on what nominal GDP grows at. Um, oddly, enough, oddly enough, um, equities are an inflation hedge. So, it, if if we are currently in an inflation phase, earnings are going to grow better than that seven to ten percent growth rate although you may be challenged on the valuations, the discount rate will rise. Um, I've got accurate data going back to 1953, and the trend line is bang on that 7% for capital growth, and you get your dividends on top of that. That's a reasonable return. Sandy McIntyre is joining us, a retired strategist, um, formerly of uh, CI Investments, has been worked on Bay Street. Well, you said just indicated just after the Viet Vietnam conflict is when he began his career. Uh, conflicts uh, end, uh, markets tend to trend higher. It shows Hi Fi Radio each and every Saturday night right here on 640 Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, partner in your success. Uh, more show, my friends, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. Set that up for you, my friends. Sandy McIntyre, former strategist, began his career uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, you, you mentioned you were in uh, Bangkok when uh, Saigon came down. Is that what you said? Did I catch that correctly? Yes, you did. Um, I'd, I'd taken a year and traveled. Um, I actually uh, went overland from India through Pakistan up the Khyber Pass, hitchhiked across Afghanistan. It was a totally different world. Um, it's uh, unfortunate how some parts of the world have changed for the worse. But I can tell you that this part of the world continues to innovate. It is life as normal. And overreacting to conflict in other parts of the world is probably not a good investment strategy. 
Um, I, I, I've said to anyone who will listen over the decades, invest to the, your most likely outcome. Be aware of the risk, and if the risks become the primary likely outcome, change your investment strategy. Um, at this point, the risks have not yet become the primary primary investment outcome, but they have risen to a point where I would suggest that if you have cash needs, make sure that your cash needs are covered uh, so that you are not forced into selling in a panicked market. And I certainly would not be carrying leverage in this market. Cash needs are important. And, you know, the old rainy day fund, they've always spoken about that, have one. The textbooks say six months to 12 months. Um, near cash, uh, Sandy, are, are there any equities, in your opinion, that could be treated as near cash? Or how do you view near cash? What instruments uh, keep you comfortably safe and, and, and knowing that you're fulfilling that objective of having it as near cash? Um, I, I would not treat any equity as a near cash equivalent. Um, Short-term bond ETFs um, work to a certain degree, um, but there is always what is called interest rate spread risk, because uh, they tend to be into corporate bonds as opposed to government bonds. And if, if we get into a very difficult environment, uh, March of 2020 is a good example of this, um, corporate bond spreads widened out very rapidly as people became concerned about the um, creditworthiness of businesses during a pandemic. Indeed, the, the spreads widened so fast that the Fed, Federal Reserve in the United States had to intervene in a arcane corner of the market called the repo market to stop the bond market from freezing up. Uh, so it, it, I, I, my personal view is I keep my cash in a money market fund and it's a government money market fund. Well, you're making, I guess, a quarter percent or half a percent on that. Um, Sandy, uh, Jack's just tugging at my sleeve or he's got a couple of questions for you. Jack? Okay. Sure. Uh, Sandy, thanks for joining us. Always appreciate uh, you taking the time to share your wisdom with the, our audience. Um, most recently, there's been some um, some private debt, I guess, uh, concerns in, in Canada uh, and, and speaking to liquidity. So I just wanted to maybe get your view on that with because it seems to crop up every year or two where investors are investing in some of these private debt funds, maybe their mortgages, where their liquidity needs are maybe not met by uh, some of the constraints. And you see some of these funds actually do what's called gating, where clients can't actually even access their money. So I wonder what your perspective is on there. Uh, and it's really about, I think, investors reaching for yield in a low interest rate environment. Um, they're reaching for yield in a low interest rate environment, uh, and there's a mismatch between the liquidity of the ultimate investment and the liquidity being promised by the fund. Uh, my view is that funds of this nature are not suitable for daily redemption at NAV. Um, it should be periodic redemption where the orders get lined up and the managers of the fund can 
also line up the sale of assets to match the redemption orders. Uh, when you come into a period of difficult credit, and I'll go back to March of 2020 as an example of this, the assets in such a fund would be no bid, and they would have to gate. Right. And it's really, I think, uh, the investment advisor, and that's where Wolfgang and I come in, uh, or whoever you're working with, it's our job to obviously know, you know, what's appropriate for a client, know your client, and know what's appropriate in terms of the liquidity needs. So, uh, as you said, I think some of these funds can get outsized returns when they when you have uh, capital that's locked up for a period of time. But, um, you know, if, if people need uh, short-term money, just make sure you know what you own, and obviously you have to have that discussion with your uh, portfolio manager and advisor. I don't want to imply that you should not own these funds, but your time horizon should be a lengthy time horizon, and you should be prepared to own them over a full cycle. Right. And again, a lot of a lot of these funds as well, the one thing I would say is um, know the managers, right? Um, know the people that you're investing with. It's very important. Before we brought you on, Sandy, we had uh, Noah Solomon on. He was talking about interest rates and inflation rising. I'm just wondering what your perspective is on that right now. And um, what are some of the uh, asset classes that you would like to see or would benefit in a rising interest rate environment? Um, I still believe that you should be well exposed to new economy. Um, we are in a period of transition from uh, old economy. And I would say Putin is fighting an old economy war for energy resources when the new economy is going to supplant him. Uh, I'd be looking for secular growth, and uh, you know, you can use the cloud as an example of secular growth. I know it's an old story, but it's it's a, a very vibrant story. Um, I'd be careful on some of the old economy names. Um, I, in the commodity space, um, I'd be looking for commodities that benefit from the new economy, and uh, you know that's whether it's lithium, copper, uh, and, and so forth. Um, there, there's also um, I'd be very careful with long-duration fixed-income investments. This inflation period may be transitory but it's showing up in wage push inflation and wage push inflation feeds on itself. So I'd, I'd be very careful with long bonds. Sandy McIntyre, we're out of time, my friend. Uh, I want to wish you a fantastic weekend. Stay safe. Uh, continue your charitable philanthropic work. You're a very, very good human being. Uh, we love you on the show. We really do. Uh, that's it for this week's edition of hi-fi radio my friends each and every saturday night right here at 640 toronto any questions for jack or i visit our website wolfgangkline.com reach out to us we always enjoy speaking with you be safe pray for those in ukraine and uh, good vibrations to all have a great weekend listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. 
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.